You know, one of the things that uh, my friends and wife talk about is I don't have much of a life. I sit around and read, and I love to read people who know what they're talking about. And as you know, if you're a regular listener to Money Talks, I guess it was in February 2020, we ran a major conference called The Coming Bull Market and Commodities. Well, one of the people that I've enjoyed reading over the last couple of years is Lewis James. He's founder, CEO of Lewis James LLC, but he's the principal analyst and editor of The Independent Speculator, which you can find at www.independentspeculator.com. I'll tell you more about that coming up. But, Lewis, thanks for finding time for us. Much appreciated. So I want to start with you look at, uh, for example, right now, you're writing a lot about the demand and the reduction in demand uh, right around the world and, of course, the impact that will find on commodity prices. Yeah, well, I mean, you say protection. I, I think it's important to distinguish regular commodities from monetary metals. Mm -hmm. And in terms of people thinking of protecting themselves from the downside, you know, clearly monetary metals have a very different safe haven role than, you know, something like copper or oil, which can, will, and always has taken it on the chin if we go through the ringer. Um, so the 30,000-foot the, the view, Mike, is that I don't buy what Team Soft Landing is peddling. I think the U.S. labor market is much weaker than it appears. I think post-pandemic labor hoarding, amongst other factors, has greatly distorted the picture. And the, you know, it's funny to hear people, even Powell, saying things like, oh, we're in uncharted waters. And then they whip out their chart and say, "This, you know, we have the tools. This is what we're going to do, right? <laughs> so I'm just, you know, I could be dead wrong. Team Soft Landing certainly looks like they're winning right now. They're, they're out there running their victory laps. But I just don't buy it. And either I'll be right or they will. Uh, I think within months, we, we are at the point where either I'll have to concede that I got something seriously wrong or you know, the, the, the scales will fall from their eyes soon. So that, that's my view. And that being the view, uh, it makes me much more inclined towards monetary metals or anything I can regard as a safe haven asset. Um, real estate counts, but it's less liquid. And it makes me much more cautious of things that even that I like on the commodities side, like oil, which has been demonized and starved for capital. That's actually very bullish for the price of oil and for the people that can actually produce the stuff. Uh, copper, similarly, everybody's, you know, this this green agenda requires so much more copper than the world is producing, and yet nobody wants to permit mines. So, you know, there's, there's opportunities like that that I think are fantastic going forward. But if I'm right, and Team Software Landing is wrong, we go through the ringer first, and that makes me very hesitant to get into, you know, energy minerals writ large or industrial metals, that sort of thing right now. Well, that's a great summation. By the way, I love that distinction between monetary metals and let's I'll call them industrial metals, you know, as you say, that are going to be impacted directly, you know, demand for oil, demand for copper, you know, and other commodities that way. I think that's a very important distinction. Uh, but that is a fascinating debate when they when they talk about, you know, is there going to be a soft landing? I, I'm not sure. There's been wishful thinking on that. The people who are presenting that, I don't think they have the best track record. I'm not trying to knock them, but I mean, you know, it's a complicated business when you look at the overall economy uh, that way. But I mean, I'm looking at the latest stuff coming out of Japan is worrisome. China's worrisome. If I'm, if I'm talking about increasing demand, you know, that uh, I don't see it coming yes. from many of those areas. And as you say, uh, I think it's highly questionable and a lot of wishful thinking when, <laughs> when I hear people talking about the U.S., you know, uh, the labor market doesn't look as strong. So I think th that distinction you're making is a real key, and I hope everyone picked up on it there. And I, I know you make it in the independent speculator, but I think it's one that uh, 
needs to be applied when you're looking at all of the commodity markets. Yeah, and you know, I think perhaps you're being very gentlemanly and kind when you say uh, optimistic thinking. <laughs> you know, I, I look at somebody like Janet Yellen who gets on TV and says, I see no reason to think that there might be a recession. Well, this is the person who saw no cr more crises in her lifetime. And guess what? She hasn't fallen on her sword. She's still there telling us about the things she doesn't see. Um, and to my mind, it beggars belief that any serious adult can take such a person seriously. This is a political hack saying what her boss tells her to say it has nothing to do with reality, in my view. So I'm willing to be a little bit less gentlemanly. Lobo, my, you know, it means wolf. So I'll, I'll bear my wolf fangs here and say I, I'm just called BS on these people. And, and, and Powell, you know, appointed by a Republican, supposedly. You know, I, I, I think the central bank's head's job is to lie to the public. And I'm not just being inflammatory or throwing that out there. I mean it quite sincerely. I think they think that they have to say whatever they have to say to steer the ship of state, right, and to, you know, manage expectations. Because in their worldview, everything is about confidence. You can't shake confidence or the con game comes down. So their job, I think, is quite literally to say what they think they have to say to get the economic results they think will be achieved by the jawbone. Uh, truthfulness has nothing to do with that. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not just being insulting or whatever. I'm being literal. I think it's Powell's job to lie to the public and say whatever he thinks will help. Um, so I, I just... I'm, I'm a bit of a rant here. Sorry, Mike. No. But I, <laughs> I think it's important to understand that these sources... Um, it not, de depend, independent of your politics. It wouldn't matter if I was a Democrat or Republican. I would say the same thing. These people cannot tell the truth, and therefore what they say should be discounted. Well, we had such a great example when we're sitting there, and, and I'm proud to say on this, this show, we were talking about inflation a year before, while they were still saying there was you know, yeah. transitory. And I'm going, like, this is absurd. Keep in mind, they were still saying that in November, early December of 2021. And think about the energy crisis that was happening already from, you know, arguably you could get a, a, an earlier date, but let's say September, where prices were skyrocketing in the UK. And I'm going, you know, and, and I think your point, though, is a very important one for people to understand. It is a confidence game. And at that point, they wanted to make sure, or they, they were going to say anything they could uh, to tell people, oh, don't worry, inflation's not going up. In other words, we won't have to raise interest rates on all the borrowing, you know, to get people involved. Like, who the hell's going right, to lend them, right. lend the government money if inflation's at four and I'm getting one? I, I just think that's that's actually, I think, the key point in economics and finance today is it's all about confidence. And why wouldn't people's confidence be shaken when you look around the world, you look at different things, they haven't solved the energy crisis whatsoever, in fact, I think they've done a good job in working to prove that they haven't learned anything from what happened in the previous <laughs> year. <laughs> I'm laughing because well, I'm I going mean, on a rant now. Does not the Fed have an unbroken track record of failing to predict any recessions? Yeah. Like when have they ever predicted a recession? It's quite startling that they came close this time. You know, unlike unlike the in the, the Bank of England, which actually did call a recession, the Fed um, the staff projection was for a mild recession this year. And they've rolled that back. But even when the staff made that projection, the FOMC was having none of it. And Powell said, no, that's not the view of, it, of, of the committee, my view or any, you know. Mm -hmm. So he, he disavowed even that very mild and gentle slowdown uh, that the staff called for. So, I mean, it, that's, a, that's an unblemished track record. 
Mike. You know, like, uh, so it, it doesn't matter. Again, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Anarchist, whatever. The, the track record says you cannot and should not place any weight on what they say. So let's talk about what we should see instead of what they're saying. And I'm with you, as I said. Uh, no, but I mean, uh, as your goal is with the independent speculator, for example, and uh, you're the due diligence guy on Twitter. Uh, but the role is to protect people or help them navigate this kind of an environment, which is very difficult, obviously. Uh, I mean, gosh, look at that dramatic increase in interest rates. Obviously, some people are being very hurt. When I look at the, the, the surveys in the States, you know, the huge percentage of people who don't have a thousand bucks, you know, in their savings. Or in Canada, we have had literally, it's relentless is the right word. Over 50% of Canadians are really feeling the squeeze now with inflation, with higher interest rates, and they, they haven't even renewed their mortgages. You know, I mean, right. uh, yeah, that's yeah, coming, that's coming right? still. And you've got the student loan moratorium coming off this, this much. You know, it's maybe worth pausing before we get whichever branch mm -hmm. you want to go with this. But it's worth pointing out that when we talk particularly about the U.S. and U.S. statistics, we're not being myopic. We understand there's a world out there. Uh, and, you know, and I've actually been beating the drum that it's, it's very naive to think that everything could be hunky-dory in the U.S., when China is not re reigniting as hoped, when, you know, Japan is a perennial basket case, Europe is slow, you know, uh, the Latin American countries are pivoting to, to easier policy because of the trouble they're seeing. You know, it's a global economy. And yes, there's there's a new trend towards deglobalization post-COVID and all that. But that, that took decades to build. It's not going to be unwound in a couple of years. So there's huge vulnerability. And, uh, you know, this is an aspect of American exceptionalism that I would take exception to. And, and particularly important for resource investors, is that commodities are priced in dollars. So it's not that I don't realize that there's a whole, you know, economy just as large across the pond or, or this, you know, growing dragon in China. I understand that. They're very important. But commodities are priced in dollars. And while that is the case, we need to look at things that are going to move the dollar and inversely most commodities. So th that's why we have conversations like this. But... Um, Sorry, I, I'm not sure where you wanted to go well, with that, Mike, but I wanted to clarify yeah. because you, we keep coming back to U.S. statistics and people will say, well, don't you realize there's a world? And I say, yes, that's part of the issue. Well, that, that, that's a great point you're making. I mean, you're right. I experienced the same thing. Why are you talking about this? Why are you, well, especially being a Canadian, you know, well, let's talk about their economy, too, because if their economy tanks, ours is almost impossible not to tank, you know, and also globally, as you say, the global implications are huge and the dollar implications. I mean, that's a monster debate right now. Um, you know, the, the, the BRICs getting together or not, you know, are we going to change the U.S. dollar and the trading system? And then, by the way, I make a distinction there between the U.S. dollar as a store of wealth, you know, people thinking of it that way. And in that way, I think we're already seeing the exodus, uh, you know, with more to come. But we're seeing it, people moving out of the U.S. dollar and preferring Bitcoin, as, just as an example, or gold as an example, or uh, in in my case, I prefer oil as an example. You know, I got more faith in oil than I sure do in uh, the U.S. dollar, looking at it only from that perspective. And, but on a trading basis, I think you're talking a big, as you just said, this is a big system. It's going to take a number of years. If people, you know, a lot of people for political reasons are hoping the dollar declines. Forget the, pol uh, the economics, it's the politics. But where do you, what do you feel about that whole discussion now? Well, as you say, there's, there's political reasoning. And, uh, you know, I'm not above politics myself. I'm on the libertarian end of the spectrum. And I, I have my druthers for how I think things should be done, and I object very much. 
you know, state interference in the economy. But my role as the independent speculator, as the due diligence guy for yeah. my audience, is not to, you know, ramble on about politics or try to convince people to save the world my way or, or adopt loboism or, you know, whatever I believe. My role is to help you make money. And, you know, it's so again, it's it's not that I'm I'm throwing the ethics out the window. It's that I need to look at what's actually happening in the marketplace, not what I wish would yes. happen. Like like take the the green agenda and the electrification. That is such a huge global trend for all resource investors affecting everything. You know, the, the least affected might be gold, but even silver is affected because of the solar panels. It's, it is also industrial, not just a monetary metal. So and never mind copper, lithium, and all these other things that are so profoundly impacted by this agenda. So I, I get pushback from readers. It's like, oh, well, you know, they sh- they shouldn't, Tesla shouldn't even exist. It got government grants and subsidies. And it, you, you, fine, it's true. It, never mind that. Our goal isn't to beat up on Tesla or to right all wrongs like Don Quixote tilting at the windmills. Our goal is to make money. And the fact is that governments around the world are pushing this big time, whether they should or they shouldn't, they are. And you know what? It's not just those evil, you know, dark cloaked powers that be behind the hidden curtains. The people out there, our dear beloved fellow brother human beings, they want this, especially the younger generations. These electric cars are popular. The consumer wants them, whether they should or they shouldn't, whether it makes sense or not. That is a market reality. And so if your goal is to make money, you can't just say, well, I'm going to check out what's happening because of what I want to have happen. That's not how you make money. Uh, I'm going a bit of a rant again for you, Mike. But I, so well, that's a key point. Let me just interrupt for a second because that is – I would say that's in fact – the skill you need as, a, as an investor. I mentioned that we did a coming bull market in commodities. Was ex- You've just elaborated exactly why we did that in February of 220. And it was because it doesn't matter what I think about it. It doesn't matter that I have concerns that there's no way, by the way, the electrical grid can handle it. Uh, there's no way, as you alluded to just a bit earlier, but I mean, the lithium, the cobalt, the, you know, for EVs, the copper in every aspect of it, you know, we're not close to that stuff. It doesn't matter if they're going to do it anyways. And, and the right. way you described and, it, I think, and, is and if you had any doubts, sorry, let me yeah. jump in and agree with you because if it's reasonable to have doubts, particularly you have a, a global pandemic, you might think that reason would set in a little bit, and they might step back and say, "Oh, well, this agenda is very expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's gonna, it's not just going to cost a bunch of money; it's going to make the global economy less efficient. You know, maybe we should take a step back and, and settle, deal with the pandemic first. No, they double down. That was all the more reason. And then a war. And you think, okay, you know, we're on the, the edge of potential World War III. There's there's a land war, a kinetic war in Europe, you know, for God's sake. You know, maybe we should take a step back and think about, you know, putting extra burdens on the global economy. No, we're going to double down. This is all the more reason. we got to have energy independence, right? So all the more reason to... <laughs> well, one of my favorite, one uh, of my favorite quotes, sorry, one of my favorite quotes last year was John Kerry arriving early, you know, in the Ukraine war and saying, I hope it doesn't impact our climate change goals. And I'm going, exactly. people are getting bombed. Exactly. So anybody who thought that, okay, you know, reason will prevail at yeah. some point or reality will step in and, and they will take a step back. Uh, clearly, they have shown that that's not going to happen, you know, until they push that you know, the train goes off the cliff or, you know, that level of reality, you know, maybe. And you know what? I actually think for all the things that we say can't happen, 
this is this makes me very bullish on the necessary minerals because I, I actually think the NIMBY thinking that has plagued the mining industry for so long or the extractive industries in, in general, I think that will cave. I mean, at some point, push will come to shove and people will realize, well, if we want, you know, batteries and solar panels and electric cars, we have to mine the metals yep. that go into these things. And... And I think people will realize in the first place, it's just not enough. We got to permit these mines, you know, the nice mines, the better companies that that make an effort to do things in a cleaner way. I think they will get permitted, even in first world countries that really would rather not have that. And the other aspect is, if you push all the mines off to the third world, you're going to degrade the environment more because there are looser environmental standards in most of those countries. You know, they're making efforts, but it you know it's clearly easier to get. Um, let's say an operation approved that has lower environmental standards in some desperate country in Africa than it is say in Canada or never mind in Europe, in Western Europe. So to the savvy investor, again, whose, whose goal isn't to make political points, but to make money, you look at the companies that are positioned to benefit from this. Um, and, and I do think that the green agenda will ultimately trump NIMBY thinking and we will see projects that, currently might seem unpermittable, become permittable. And that change in value could be huge. For a speculator here, we're not talking about a you know a safe investment. I'm talking about for a speculator to try to position yourself where the wind is blowing, where the, where the hockey puck is going, to go, quote your great Canadian philosopher, Wayne Gretzky, right? There, there, this is an example of some things in this space where you can see very clearly where that puck is going. And I think there's money to be made going there, getting ahead of it. And of course, you alluded to a moment ago, okay, so we should look at what are the minerals that they're going to need? So I mentioned copper earlier. I may even put that at the top of the list in a way of sort of a can't miss because you're going to need it no matter what, the electrification, the grid, the EVs, you know, and renewables and all that. So but what's your list there that you'd keep an eye on that sort of has a real demand surge over a possible supply. We don't have the supplies. That was an awkward way of saying that. We don't right, have the supply. Right. Well, I, I actually quite agree with you on copper is absolutely number one, because no matter which technology, even if you go with hydrogen cars, right, that yeah. wouldn't have lithium or cobalt or nickel, you know, or, as, or as much anyway, you're still going to need the wires, the wiring in the car and the batteries and the charging and, and the electrification at large that goes with that. The hydrogen cars, I don't think, change the overall story. Uh, you know, so, but, you know, the hydrogen cars are still kind of an if, I mean, they're coming along and there's people pushing in that, but right now the, the, for, for better, or for worse, the lithium ion battery is sort of like the VHS of these technologies. If you, yeah. if you understand my metaphor, uh, you've got hair to match my beard. I don't know how much of the audience is with us on this, but Betamax VHF, everybody says that Betamax was the better technology, but somehow VHS got there first, it became the standard, everybody just adopted it, and that's where we are with lithium-ion batteries. That said, there are changes happening there now, like the the, um, the LFP batteries are, are really coming in strong and taking greater market share. So that affects your, your nickel and your cobalt. There's still lithium there. Anyway, I'm, I'm digressing, but not too much. Point number one was I agree with you about copper. Like, hands down, any circumstance – Copper is my number one industrial metal. The other one um, is actually going to be lithium because the, the alternatives that are most advanced are still lithium something batteries, like lithium sodium, lithium iron phosphate, right? They're still lithium something. 
And that's a more developed advanced technology. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a buyer of lithium ahead of the recession or copper ahead of the recession that I still think is ahead of us. Um, but the other side, I've been, I've been late to the game on this because lithium is not rare. Uh, but it is becoming, you know, quite apparent that, you know, on the other side, the, the green agenda is going ahead. The demand will outstrip supply. And it's at least for the investment timeframes I have in mind the next few years, like maybe 10 years from now, supply actually catches up uh, and recycling catches up. But as we build out the fleet of electric cars, I think demand is likely to outstrip supply. And that actually makes me bullish on lithium, more bullish than I've been all along. Um with new understanding. Now, nickel, not so much. Cobalt, not so much. Anything else? We'll see. You know, hydrogen, uh, I, I, that will be years before that happens. But the metal implication of hydrogen is platinum, and there's a lot of people hanging their hat on higher platinum prices because of the hydrogen cars. Well, there isn't a hydrogen charging station on the entire island I live on of Puerto Rico. Like, I, I literally can't buy that car and expect yeah. to drive it. I could look at it as a, as a statue in my garage or something, but I can, you know, and there are a lot of people on that boat until that changes. I really don't see I, you know, that having any impact, meaningful impact on platinum prices. So the one that it leaves me with of other, you know, sure things is I, I like silver quite a bit because it goes into the solar panels and in the near term, silver's industrial aspect may hold it back and it may underperform gold. Actually, I would say, in the balance of this year, I, I think that this gold silver ratio would likely widen because of this. That said, on the other side, silver becomes the, the win-win metal. I think you'll have fear as the recession kicks in that will support the safe haven demand. And then as you exit the recession, you'll have the industrial demand because it is necessary. It's one of these metals, not labeled a critical metal, but it's very central to the, the electrification of the world. Um, so I like silver a lot on the other side. And then when we haven't mentioned, I did say, you know, I'm, I'm not keen on, on energy minerals going into the recession. The one exception there is uranium. And I don't know if you want to yes, go I, down I, that rabbit hole. Honestly, that was my next question. I mean, again, okay, we've been... Well, let, let's go there yeah. then. Um, you know, even if you want hydrogen cars in the future, you're, you're going to need to get that hydrogen somewhere. And okay, it, it can be a byproduct from some gas fields. But in the quantities that we're talking about, you really need something like the Hoover Dam, or a nuclear power station to generate. Hydrogen is frequently said, and I agree with this view, it's really more of an, of an energy storage means than a fuel. Yes, you do burn it, burn it, it is a fuel. But it takes energy to get that hydrogen. It doesn't, you know, you can't just, you know, there's, there's no hydrogen geyser that you can just tap. So in most cases, you have to make the hydrogen. You have to put energy into making it so that you can burn it and get the energy back out. Um, and so, and I understand that there are also hydrogen fuel cells where you don't burn it, uh, but those have other issues as well. Anyway, the point is you still need to get this hydrogen and that's going to take energy. And I think one of the obvious answers to that is you, know, you can't build the Hoover Dam anywhere. It has to be in a certain place where you can do that, whereas you can build a nuclear power plant anywhere you need the energy. So I like it. Um, and I don't mean to focus just on the hydrogen, but it's an example of why nuclear is so great. It can provide 24-7, 365 baseload power, you know, whenever you've got to have it for hospitals or airports or whatever, you know, that's the most reliable kind of energy we have. And it's non-carbon emitting. 
So you combine that with other green technologies and you have a, a greener approach to electrification than anything else. So I think nuclear made sense anyway. Just mm -hmm. the global population is growing. We don't like coal anymore. We, even gas is a bridge technology. You're still, you know, natural gas. It sounds great. It's natural, right? Well, yeah, but it's still got carbon in it and you burn it. You're still putting that carbon in the atmosphere. So just the global population alone and the reality of places like India and China needing more energy than any amount of, of coal, gas, everything could provide them makes nuclear an obvious choice. And then on top of that, you have the ESG agenda providing it multiple tailwinds. So I'm extremely bullish on uranium. I call it my highest confidence trade this year because while there's this appearance that Team Soft Landing may be right, that's a headwind for safe haven assets like gold and silver. So as much as I love gold, I have more questions about gold in the nearest term than, than uranium. The other yellow metal this year is actually the one that takes the crown from me for my highest confidence trade. And the one thing, and I know my fellow uranium bugs hate it when I say this, but I feel I owe it to the audience to always say um, this presumes no major nuclear incidents. You know, Fukushima was a tsunami, and it was the tsunami that killed the people, not the nuclear power plant, but it still scared people. More important is it would be Chernobyl. Really, Three Mile Island was a nothing burger. Fukushima was a tsunami that caused most of the problems. Chernobyl was the real deal. And if there was something like that now, I do think that would whack uranium prices, that would whack the uranium stocks, no question. They would crater on news like that. So I think it's important to, to say, yes, it's still a speculation. As solid as the thesis seems, and we have you know, fundamentals of supply and demand, and we have technicals. I, you know, People are exasperated with uranium over the last year or so. But you look at the long-term chart, and it's a, it's a thing of beauty. And you've got the narrative. You've got the ESG agenda. You've got Europe pivoting back despite Germany, pivoting back to nuclear. And, of course, the BRICS countries going gangbusters as fast as it can. So the demand is already there. We don't need to speculate that there will be increasing demand. We can see that now, Mike. The, the, the big risk here would be a, a literal blow-up that could blow up your portfolio. And those are rare. As I say, it's really only been Chernobyl has been the only serious one. And people worry about the Zaporizhia plan in Ukraine. But you know what? I think that thing is a fantastic advertisement for how safe nuclear power is. It's in the middle of a freaking war zone. The thing's been shelled. It's been shot up. You know, all this stuff has happened to it and not a peep out of it. It's done great. So... Yeah, I'm a bull, and I just I just have to put that one caveat in there. It's it's a total lightning bolt out of the blue. We'll never know if that might happen until it does. But until it does, and I think it's unlikely. I, I think the uranium thesis is very solid. Higher prices, I you know I think they're baked in the cake for this year and going forward. Well, and look at Japan returning to to nuclear as as an example. Obviously Fukushima, but that's that's their judgment on it. An increase in nuclear power seems like every week. I'm certainly opening up about somebody else, whether it's South Korea. Uh, you wrote about Georgia. I wasn't aware of the Georgia nuclear plant coming on. You know, first new plant in uh, the U.S. in 12 years. I. Uh, as you wrote about, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, that demand side is there. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's a core position, actually. I think uranium is a core yeah, position. The Japanese thing is really eye-opening because, you know, they they were the one, that Fukushima happened to them, right? And they shut down all their nukes. And if, for them to say, you know what, 
it, it really is safe. And, you know, we've, we've learned our lessons that, you know, the rest of the plants, to, you know, we can go there and we have to, and we need to, we need this energy for them to do that is really striking. And even Germany, which in Europe was the one that most strenuous objections to nuclear power, they did shut down those last three reactors, but they delayed that, which was kind of a, a hell freezing over type event. And even Greta Thunberg was telling the Germans that they should keep those plants operating because, you know, the Germans were opening up new coal mines. So, you know, that, as, as scary and evil as most people think uranium is, you know, coal has become the absolute yeah. devil. That's the, that's the archangel fallen. So, you know, uh, it's really striking. This, this is an idea whose time has come again. I, I, I firmly believe that. And I have more uranium in my portfolio now than I ever had. Uh, the only stock on my shopping list right now in the face of the uncertainty of the recession is a uranium stock. And, oh, sorry. One final point on that, you know, baseload power, Mike, right? Mm -hmm. You know, 24, yeah. 7, 365. This isn't like deciding, oh, well, times are tough. Maybe we don't have to go visit grandma this weekend and, and saving on gas money. This isn't discretionary. So I, I'm not saying that, that uranium is going to be entirely recession proof, uh, but it is much more recession resistant than any other energy mineral. And, you know, right now, the powers that be have done a good job of punting that down the road. So it, it is the one resource speculation right now, because I got a lot of questions, Mike. There are a lot of things I don't know. Uh, but this one I'm so confident of that I'm, I'm willing to put more money into play right now on a great uranium stock. If I can find what I've missed. Well, as I say, this is a great reason. I want to tell people that you can get a free, you know, the Speculator's Digest is free. Just go to www.independentspeculator.com, www.independentspeculator.com, or follow on Twitter, Twitter, due diligence guy, small, small caps, due diligence guy on Twitter. Uh, Lewis, thanks so much. Fabulous stuff. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving me the chance to share what I, what I think about what I do, and, and I encourage people to check it out and see yep. if they like my way of, of doing business.